welcome. Welcome to our series on the ways, the works, and the words of Jesus. And we're taking an unhurried but quite intentional walk through the Gospel of Mark, looking at the way Jesus lived, what he did, what he said. And we've been in this series now for a few months, and we're up to chapter 7, which is not even halfway through the Gospel of Mark. So I thought before we looked at this passage, we might take a look back at what's happened in Mark so far. So Mark begins his gospel with John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus, pointing to Jesus as the one who will bring in the kingdom of God. And then he quickly moves on to the calling of the first disciples. And then he begins to show the power of Jesus and the authority that he has over evil spirits, over healing many people, a leper, a paralytic. And then he has one of the first altercations with the Pharisees, where they are trying to impose their traditions and making their laws, these man-made rules that they impose on people. And this one is about the Sabbath, where Jesus said, the Sabbath is made for man, not for your man-made rules. Then the crowds begin to follow Jesus and he appoints the 12 apostles. Then he has another encounter with the Pharisees. This time, because he's casting out evil spirits, they accuse him of being possessed himself. Then he begins to speak in parables. We have the parable of the sower, the lamp on the stand, the growing seed, the mustard seed. Then Mark shows the power of Jesus over creation where he calms the storm. And as he's going across to the other side, he heals a demon-possessed man and he sends that man as a missionary to his people. There are more healings. And then he sends the 12 out. He sends the 12 out to preach the good news, to cast out evil spirits and to heal people. And when they come back, they're amazed because they've had an incredible experience of the power of God. And then right after this really triumphant time, John the Baptist is killed. The crowds still come to Jesus. He feeds 5,000 families. And then last week, we heard of Jesus walking on water. And I, I thought it was really interesting how Simon brought out the way that Jesus went about living his life in that instant. He sent the crowds away, he sent the disciples away, and he went up to the mountain to pray and to be with Father God, which is a very powerful uh, model for us to follow in our lives. Jesus needed that time with God, and he models that for us as well. So this passage is another encounter with the Pharisees. And this time, these Pharisees and teachers of the law have come up from Jerusalem, which is quite a walk. They walked all the way up purposefully to see Jesus. Now, I would like to think that their intentions were, were quite genuine, that they wanted to really understand who this man was. They're hearing all these incredible things happening, and they wanted to come to see Jesus for themselves. But as we heard from the passage, that's not the case. They came up 
to find fault with Jesus. They came up to bring him down. They came up to question him and and to put him in his place. They did not have a humble heart towards Jesus. And they find something. The disciples are not washing their hands according to the tradition. Now you might think, well that's quite reasonable. You should wash your hands before you eat. And particularly in this time of COVID where I'm sure we're we're all very hypervigilant about washing our hands. But they weren't worried about hygiene. They were worried about their traditions. And they had imposed a lot of man-made traditions on top of the Old Testament. They twisted the Old Testament and introduced a whole lot of traditions that were being imposed upon the people. And Jesus doesn't muck around with them. He just calls them out, you hypocrites. You're hypocrites. And he gives them one example of where they're twisting the law. And that is they're encouraging people to take money that should rightly go to their mother and father and give it to the temple. And Jesus says, there are many more examples that I can give you. So he's straight out. He doesn't try to reason with them. He just straight out calls them hypocrites. You're doing the wrong thing. Now, I think it's easy for us to judge the Pharisees. Because they could see Jesus firsthand. They were right there. They could experience what was happening with him in real time. And yet, they were blinded. They just couldn't see who Jesus was. And it's easy for us to see their rules that they were imposing. But I want us to take a step back from that judgment today and look at ourselves. And think about where in my life Am I doing something that's not in accordance with what God wants me to do? And is there any part of my life where I've set up my own sort of rules because it justifies my behaviour? So as we look at this passage, I want you to have those two questions in the back of your mind. Because we want to take this and apply it to ourselves. Jesus said to the, to the Pharisees that you honour me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And we don't, want to, we don't want to live like that. We want our faith in Jesus to be an outpouring of our life. That what we do and what we say and how we act and how we react is a reflection of that intimate relationship that we have with Father God. So, Jesus has called them out as Pharisees, but then he uses this as a teaching moment. And he says in verse 14, all of you listen. So he's saying that to the crowds, to the crowds, to the Pharisees, to the disciples, all of you listen to what I've got to say to you. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. So what does Jesus mean by defile? I don't think that's a word that would come up in conversation very, very many times today. But it comes from an Old Testament ritual. So before Jesus came, there was a sacrificial system. When you sinned, you needed to find an animal that was pure and you needed to bring that animal to the priest and the priest would offer it as a sacrifice. 
Now, this was to say that I recognise my sin, I repent of it, and I'm giving up something. I'm compensating for my sin. I'm making a sacrifice to God. And there was a ceremony, a ritual about that. And, and the person who brought the sacrifice and the priest, they both had to wash themselves, their clothes, and all the utensils or anything that was used in the sacrificial process. And this was partly to remind people of the holiness of God. That compared to God, we are so unclean. There's no one holy like God. And it was a reminder of where we stand with God. But the Pharisees had made it a ritual, a tradition. And they'd concentrated on the washing rather than on the heart. The fact that we come and repent we come before God and we offer our sacrifice to him. Now, we don't, we don't use the word defiled, but we do understand pollution. We have a lot of pollution in the world today. We've got air, water, land contamination, soil contamination, food, radioactivity, heat pollution, all sorts of pollution. So pollution is anything that comes into the environment and is harmful. And so when we see the word defiled here, we can think of pollution. These are things that pollute us and pollute the people around us. So when he says it's not what comes into your body that defiles you or pollutes you, it's what comes out of your heart. And so what does Jesus mean by heart? Because he's not talking about the organ that pumps blood and nutrients around our body. In the Bible, heart is like the core of our being. It's the, the spiritual part of us. It's the part of our will and our desires. It's where our motivations come from. It's the things that drive us. It's the things that, that make us want to do things. That's our heart. So these are the things that Jesus says come out of our heart. And this is in verse 20 21. From within... Out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride and foolishness or folly as we heard in the other reading. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. It's not a very pretty list, and I don't know how you feel when you see that list. Maybe you just gloss over it and you look at the biggies like adultery and murder and think, well, it doesn't apply to me. But maybe when you look at all those things, you think, wow, I, I really need a new heart. So let's have a look at some of these things in a bit more detail. Evil thoughts. Now, this is just something that's in your head. This is not something that you're putting into practice. It's not something that you're doing. This is something that you're just thinking about. So anything that's evil is anything that's ungodly. Anything that's not life-affirming, loving, caring, full of mercy or grace or compassion, anything that's not godlike is an evil thought. So it's when we're malicious or bitter or self-serving 
And these sort of thoughts, they can come to us just straight. Before we even think about it, these evil thoughts appear. And I want you to maybe remember a time when you were in traffic and somebody cut you off and they probably honked their horn at you and you had to slam your brakes on to avoid an accident. And the first thoughts that come to your mind is not likely to be, thank you, Lord, for that driver. Oh, that driver is so good. Bless that driver. How wonderful to be in this situation. There's no way you're going to say that. And those evil thoughts, they come straight away. These are the things that come out of our heart. And then when we notice them, we can say, okay, Lord, I, I don't want to act on it. But we see that our heart has got this evil thoughts process within it. It's a habit. It's automatic. Sexual immorality. Now, in a traditional sense, this is taken to be sex, any sex, outside of marriage. But I also want to say that it's any sex that is selfish, self-centered, self-serving, anything that is demeaning or degrading, because God made sex. And sex is one of the most powerfully intimate experiences we can ever have in our life. It's heightened sensuality, but it's also heightened emotions and it's heightened spirituality. It is the whole of us, physical, emotional and spiritual experience. And God has given this as a beautiful gift, as an intimate relationship that is to be shared in a committed relationship. Paul says in, Rome, in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to 20, that sexual immorality is a sin against our bodies and it is a sin against God because God has brought, bought our bodies with a price. Jesus has died for us. Now, theft. Probably when you think about theft, you think of somebody shoplifting or maybe fraud or somebody stealing your identity online. But there are much more subtle ways that we can steal. When you do your taxes, is there a, an income stream that's mainly cash that you think, oh, it's not very much, I'm not going to declare that. And the government will never know and they probably never will know, but God knows. And, and in your heart, you are stealing. We are stealing any time we take something to be our own that is not our own. So even, for example, if we take credit for something, somebody has a beautiful idea and we say it's our idea, that's stealing. And what about stealing from God? There's a, a biblical principle of tithing and giving gifts and giving offerings. And we don't want to be, um, you know, nitpicky about it, but it's a hard attitude that we say we want to give back to God everything that he's given to us. So we tithe 10% of everything that God has given us and we give offerings and we give gifts. And if our heart is not wanting to share that with God, then we're stealing from God. It's a hard attitude. What about stealing from your partner? time that you should be spending with your partner and yet you take it for yourself or your kids 
What about when you're at work and instead of working, you're doing something for yourself? You're stealing. So I think we need God, we need the Holy Spirit to be able to convict us of where we are stealing because sometimes it's so subtle that we don't really see it. Now murder. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 21 to 22 that if you're angry and insult your brother, you are guilty of murder. And John says everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. So if you're angry at someone or you've insulted them or you hate them, then you are guilty of murder. And the list goes on with adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander. Let's have a look at pride. Pride is arrogance, it's self-conceit, it's vanity. And it's effectively when we're taking credit for something that God has done. So think about a cup. A cup, a mug where you're drinking your coffee. It's designed to drink. It's not designed to pour. A jug, on the other hand, has got a very... a lip that's put into it so that when it pours, it pours smoothly. Now, can the jug take pride in the fact that it pours smoothly? I suggest it can't because that's how it's designed. The jug is designed that way. And we are designed by God in different ways. All of us have different designs. Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So God has designed us for a purpose. And, And we can't take pride in that purpose because that's how God has made us, just like the jug. We can take joy in doing things well, but taking pride is putting ourselves above God. It's worshipping us. It's idolatry. And it's not worshipping God. And I think pride is a bit of a slippery one because as children, we're taught to be proud about things that we accomplish. You know, we win a medal, we do well at school, we win a trophy. I'm proud of you, you've done really well. So it sort of seeps into us. But as adults, as, as children of God, we need to realise that we can't take pride in the way God has made us. We can take joy in it, but not pride. And Satan, who was the most beautiful creature created by God, he was cast out of heaven because of pride. So it's a slippery one. And then the last one, is foolishness. Now, this is not about somebody who makes you laugh. In the Bible, a fool is someone who uses their reasoning or their intelligence to decide that there's no God. In Matthew 7, 24 to 27, Jesus talks about the wise man who builds his house on the rock and the foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And so the rock, of course, is God, is Jesus Christ. That's where we want to build our life on. And a lot of people who are not Christians will think that the gospel is foolishness. They'll look at us and think that we are living a foolish life and that the whole idea of Jesus dying for us and dying on the cross is foolishness. But when you step in 
to life with Jesus, you realise that it's not foolishness at all, that this is the way God designed us to live, that this is the, the beauty of life, that there is grace and compassion, there are challenges, but there is a new hope and a new way of living. And that once what we might have felt was foolish is actually wisdom. So all of these terrible things, they come from within us. And it's not pretty. It's not pretty what's in our heart. We need a new heart. That's the solution to the problem. We can't fix our heart ourselves. And Paul says in Romans 10.10 that with the heart we believe unto righteousness, meaning that we believe in Jesus and when, when we do, our heart is changed. He gives us a new heart and a new way of living, a new purpose, a new direction, a new way to put God first instead of ourselves first. And maybe you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour yet. And maybe you're feeling a bit churned up. You're not quite sure whether you want to take this step or not. But I encourage you to do it because God wants to invite you into this relationship with him. God wants you to, to live a life that is a, a freedom, a freedom in not having to satisfy ourselves but to satisfy God. So I want to come back to those questions I asked at the beginning. Is there any part of your life where you're not doing what God wants you to do? Have you set up any rules of your own? And where does my heart need to be cleansed and renewed? I encourage you this week to read the passage again for yourself and to let God speak to you to let God, let any of that list of things that come out of our heart jump up at you. This is not about condemnation. This is about the Holy Spirit working in us and, and moulding us and guiding us and forming us. And so we need to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to show us where our heart is not aligned with God. As I said, if you've never accepted Jesus, this is an opportunity to do it now. But if you are a Christian, then ask God to give you a heart checkup. Because we need to continually repent and confess of any sin that's in our lives. And to forgive anyone we need to forgive, but maybe we need to forgive ourselves as well. We need to ask God to cleanse and renew our heart. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us Jesus, that it is through his death and resurrection that we can come into a new experience of life with you. Lord, we thank you that you've shown us what comes out of our heart when it's not renewed by you. And so, Lord, we want that. We want to be renewed. We want to be set free to have all the beauty of you come from our heart, Lord God. We want to be consistent in our lives and our faith. And, Father, we just ask you to help us to do that. Amen.